Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say She sure did. Not to mention, <laughs> along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. And hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. How are you today? I'm so glad that you were able to join us. I'm so excited today. You know, normally, if you listen to the show, I have a big preamble and a nice story and everything, but I don't want to do that today because I got two women, two phenomenal women on today, who I just know we are going to talk our socks off, and I want to get into it. So there we go. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to them first. One is John Mack. She's an actress, animal rights activist, and we have Ann Tucker. I'm sorry, somebody else is calling me at the same time as this show. It's so funny. Uh, Ann Tucker, she's a leadership expert, international uh, speaker, and and the author of her new book, Undoubtedly Awesome. So Ann is the co-founder of Gray Matters Partners, a leadership development firm in Seattle, Washington. She's also the founder of Wisdom Soup, a learning community, and she is in high demand internationally as a speaker on decision-making, leadership, as I said, and personal transformation, and of course, self-doubt. Anne has developed a unique test to identify an individual soul type, whereby she's able to illuminate the mental processes behind every decision you and I make. So Anne has used her proprietary technique to help some of the most influential business leaders in the world, and now she's here to help us through her book, Undoubtedly Awesome. Welcome, Anne. Thanks How so are you? much. Wow. I, I, I know I told you this before, but incredible insight into how I make a decision. Like you, you pegged me like <laughs> right on, like you have, she has a, a quiz, uh, a two or three question quiz, depending upon how you answer. And it takes you directly to what she's calling soul types uh, in the, you know, which are one of seven decision-making I guess, people <laughs> types yes. um, that think in, in, as to how they think and how they solve problems. So can you take us into that a little bit, please? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, so it is this, the survey itself is really simple. It didn't start out that way. It started out as five pages and it took me, as you can imagine, years and years and years to develop it. But by putting it into a flow chart, I'm able to break it down so that literally in three questions, we can get to the right answer. And what it's going to tell you is it looks specifically at how you think and solve problems and that manifests in terms of how you make decisions um, which I think is really if you're going to work on any one particular thing that you do decision making is where it's at it's the biggest bang for your buck everything you do every step you take the thing that decides you know what what determines where you go is your decision how you make your decisions um, and so understanding the process that you make to the, that you use to make decisions um, is is one of the most uh, I think one of the most important things you can do in terms of your own personal development. I have to agree with you. I mean, so many people have such trouble making decisions. And, you know, I, I'm one of those people who make fast decisions. I base it on my gut. Maybe I don't think enough. And in your book, you tell me I need to slow down. And, and there's some uh, processes that you can put into place to help me do that and show me how to do that in, in the book. Um, other people, I know, just get into this analysis paralysis stuff and can't make a decision for the life. Right. So what? let's talk through maybe the seven soul types and and see if we can't help people figure out just really kind of quickly maybe who they are yeah sure so an easy way to think about it is that is that um 
each of the different soul types has a particular strength. And, and so there's seven different types. If you imagine that every problem is a seven-sided figure, each side has a door, and each of us has a key to one of those doors. So each of us is particularly good at entering the problem from one particular place. And so sometimes that is figuring out the solution. Sometimes it's figuring out the plan. Sometimes it's getting us aligned and sometimes it's getting us moving. So depending on what your your soul type is, you're going to be particularly good at one of those aspects of the problem. doesn't mean that you can't do all of them that, because you can, but it does mean that you're going to be natively best at one of these things. Um, so the of the seven different types, there's the optimizing soul type, which is really the, the, the uh, that innovates by combining new things or combining things in new ways. So any of the words that start with the letters R-E, rethink redesign, reimagine, um, renovate, any of those belong to the optimizer. Um, the learning style also is a person who figures out problems, but they do it with a much more analytic uh, and reasoning style. So they are the the most, uh, probably one of the slower decision makers, but they are uh, going to always come up with the right answer. They tend to be very um, thoughtful decision makers. Mm-hmm. Your uh, The next one and is a, more focused on figuring out the plan. So you've got the efficient style and they're able to look at things from 35,000 feet and see the world as a chessboard and they're very very strategic they're going to be focused on how to get to your goal in the most efficient way possible and their balance also focused on figuring out the plan but doing it from a people perspective is the coaching style they're the ones that are able to bring out the best in others they see people see their strengths and they're able to inspire people to live up to be their best selves um, there's also people who are focused on getting us aligned. That's our expressive soul type. And they are focused on how to essentially get us all motivated behind a common cause, how to align us all around a common message. Um, and then you have those that are getting, focused on getting us moving, the very action-oriented soul types. So you have the experimenting soul type, and they're going to be the ones that they're able to, to look at a problem, pick out immediately the two or three, three things that matter most, and then they're going to immediately start moving, experimenting with a particular solution, and able to turn on a dime and change to, to, to adapt in terms of new circumstances. And then finally, there's a collaborative style that is focused on bringing others along. They're the ones that, gonna, that are going to create teamwork and create that sense of of belonging and bringing other people into a decision, raising all boats in a rising tide. Wow. So can we be all of those or have have three of those in our personality with one being more dominant? Absolutely. Because what happens is you have one that you're born with, one that's native and that's just comes, you would do it whether you, if you lived in the woods by yourself and were raised by wolves, this is what you would do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But um, as we grow, say, for example, that you're in a job and it requires that you stretch into one of these other styles, mm-hmm. you can learn and pick up on these other traits, these other other things. You might even do it naturally just to balance out your own weaknesses, grow into another soul type. So most gotcha. of us have two or even three that we commonly use, but two of those, some of those are going to be ones that we grew into or that we learned. And the other one, the, the one main one, your main soul type is the one that, that you would do regardless. It's your natural type. So as you work with leaders and international leaders around the world, are there two or three that that you see common in CEOs or as oh, a I love dominant? that question. I love that question, Frankie, because the answer is no. And I love that the answer is no. 
awesome. Yeah, because literally you will find in every position of power, you will find every soul type. If you look at every U.S. president, there are you, you will have seen every different soul type has been in the Oval Office. Um, what's interesting is that because we are all good at different things, that we're diff- good at different aspects of the problem, we will shine in different circumstances. So some of us are much better in a startup environment or in an entrepreneurial situation, whereas a different soul type is going to be really, really excellent with a mature business, maybe one that's subject to regulatory control and needs someone who's more tactful and diplomatic. That's a different soul type. So it really is, if you understand your soul type and what your strengths are, you can really target what kind of environment, what, what business, what industry is going to really cater to my strengths, is going to let me bring my strengths in and allow me to be the most successful. John, do you have any questions? Not to put you on the spot. Um, yeah, I just wondered. Interesting. I'm glad. I'm agreeing and glad that uh, she's saying that there's no one type for you know CEOs and leaders. That's good to hear. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I you know I find it very interesting and and I can see how as an entrepreneur because I like to to birth companies. I like to I like a big picture. I like things to go fast, but I don't like to be the the day to day drudgery of something. Mm-hmm. So I guess. Um, I wouldn't be like half of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm not really good at, at uh, I guess I'm a good nurturer, but I really don't like team as far as having to have everybody weigh in. And it, it sounds terrible, really. Um, but, you know, I just say, hey, let's, it, it's too slow for me. I just want to move. Like, right. Boom. Right. Is that terrible? <laughs> no, it's, it's and it well, and the thing is, is that it's not terrible because you have to realize that the, the gift that you're bringing by having that perspective, right? And you're, I'm guessing that you're the expressive soul type. Have you taken the quiz? I am an expressive soul type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And and understanding that what that means is that you have a very direct connection with your heart, that what you feel is what you say. And the advantage to that is that makes you very, very fast. So whenever you're in a meeting, you're going to have a point of view faster than anyone else. It also makes you more influential, more persuasive. Um, And that's a huge strength. So, So you are, because you have that direct line to how you feel, you're able to express the things that the rest of us feel, but but don't know how to say. So really, you can help us make sense of the hard work that we're doing, of the sacrifices that we're making. What is it that we're all part of a team and working on together? You make a story for us that can help us all feel great about it, make us all feel like we're part of something larger than ourselves. Very interesting. So if somebody um, wants to find this out other than and read your book and, and want to follow along with this, uh, where can they go to take that test? Do you, yeah, do you sure. Know I have a website called undoubtedlyawesome.com. So www.undoubtedlyawesome.com. And there's a free survey there. Like I said, it's just two or three mm-hmm. questions and it'll give you information about your soul type that's different from when, what's in the book. So even if you buy the book, go to the website anyways. It gives you a little bit more specific information about uh, it's more phenomenal how it does that. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Like, I, you know, I, I had my husband do it last night and I watched as he did it and I'm like, I knew you were going to pick those two. But it's incredible. John, I don't know if you're near a computer, but like go and do uh-huh. yours while we're on air. And, and it's okay. only two questions, probably maybe three. I guess, uh-huh. I guess it's three if it depends on which, which line you take. Right. Mm-hmm. Six, six of the soul type needs three questions and then one of them only needs two. Right. So, yeah, and, and so it's very fast um, and very informative, which I think is very cool. 
Yeah. So now that I have this knowledge and and I say, well, you know, I'm not very good in this environment, although I have led a lot of teams, um, I I guess I could say, well, I could work on this and this. I could invite or have people in my inner circle who have those those soul types to to round out a a group. We're going to go to a commercial break. Uh, When we get back, we're going to um, meet John and see what she has going on. And then we're going to find out what she was and in in her her soul type. And we're going to come back together and just talk about all kinds of things because I got some awesome women online today. Don't go anywhere. Stay close. Stay tuned. You can go to the bathroom, but come back, please. (laughs) (laughs) Have a coffee. That's okay, too. It's lunchtime. (laughs) For some. <laughs> yeah, breakfast for warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the million dollar mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at two, one central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Thompson, co-founder of the Save the Elephant Foundation, was taking a rescued elephant named Kamla for a walk along the river. As they were walking, Derek decided to stop and take a dip in the water. But when he called to Kamla, who was waiting on the shore, the elephant thought he was in trouble and came running to his rescue. Kamla charged through the water, sheltering him with her body and offering her trunk for him to hold on to. What's another word for a trained elephant? A kunki. Elephant trainers in Asia are known as mahouts. And the padded seat or saddle used to ride on an elephant is called a howda. Kamla and her mother, Bai Tui, are among the 70 elephants the foundation has rescued since its inception. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back, and we are going to meet John Mack now. And as I said at the beginning, she's an actress, animal rights activist, and a musician. She's the voice of the voiceless in her Defending the Endangered movement. And John uses her celebrity to make visibly the graphic nature of poaching in her new video uh, with her Los Angeles band, Aura Drone. You can watch that on the Good Radio Network right now if you click on, on the promo for today's show. It's in there, and it's unbelievably graphic but beautiful and and just the music's amazing. So uh, well done to you for, for putting that together because it really does show um, how horrific poaching is. You are 
man, you're amazing. You grew up on a farm at by say at seven. Your parents were was a drama teacher and a theater director, so it's no surprise that you became an actress. Um, you <laughs> were 17. You attended the prestigious Tisch School in New York City uh, with Lee Strasberg, the experimental theater schools in New York City. You worked as a fashion model, obviously. Uh, you're gorgeous. You relocated to Los Angeles to finish your studies at UCLA, and you have starred in some of uh, my favorite movies. You came to national attention as Ava Gardner in the Emmy Award-winning biopic Introducing. Dorothy Dandruff, uh, starring Halle Berry. You were the soccer mom playing, uh, making that play for Gerard Butler in Playing for Keeps, uh, also starring Jessica Biel, and uh, the iconic Jane, Junkie Jane in Saw 6, I think. <laughs> you were in Straight A's. Uh, boy, you've you just done it all. And you're also a musician, singer, music producer, because your brainchild, Ordrone, has released three albums since 2009, and you're about to release a fourth album. And right now you are also, um, you have a new movie coming out, uh, Doomsday, I think, is going to be released this year. And you've been in action films, and right now you have a gala coming up, uh, the Defending the Endangered Movement. As I said, um, you're going to have a gala on, I think it's the 20, is it the 21st of this month? And 25th of the month. And you've gathered together all of your favorite friends and everybody, and you are going to be raising money for um, the Wild, for Black Mamas, and the, um, I'm sorry, the... Uh, it's not World Wildlife. Oh, the rhinos, the Rhino Rescue Project. Yes. Yeah, yes. which, you know, I they're um, close to my heart. I had um, uh, um, the author of Running with the Rhinos, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he was on the show not that long ago, and we talked about um, the black rhino and how the black rhino was really just so endangered, and, and what they were, Ed Warner is his name, and he's a conservationist, and he's been pouring money to to the this group in Africa for so long, but I'm so glad that other people have taken up taken up this cause because what we've done to this poor animals is just horrific. So I, you grew up on a farm. Is that where your love for animals came from? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, it's my earliest memories are from this farm because it was my grandparents' farm, and mm-hmm. um, I'm an only child, so I spent a lot of time kind of in nature, hanging out with the animals. It was it was pretty great. And um, sorry, my phone bags are going crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, I, I I think that's definitely where it started. I mean, it was just such a passion for me, um, even as a kid. You know, taking care of the cows and whatnot. It's it's beautiful. It's a great it way is. to grow up. Yeah, I grew up on a farm too and loved it. Like, I, that's where, I think that's where my passion for animals came, and I was happiest just hanging out with the cows and the horses and everybody, everybody on all the dogs, and <laughs> it's yes. so much fun. It's like they're just so great. Yeah, I, I, yeah. you know, today children look at animals and they go, "Oh, is that really a? That's a cow? Yeah, they don't they they don't connect to their food source. They don't connect it to anything. They don't know what they are, and it's it's pretty unfortunate. Um, so you were very fortunate. To, to have grown up that way. Thank you. Yeah. I and your so love too. for music, where did this come from? <clears throat> that we we don't know. It's funny. My parents, either one of them, are very were or my mother's past, but my, they were not musical. Um, but music was just something I started doing kind of on my own when I was um, really young, just banging on a drum set, playing. You know, just kind of teaching myself. Are you a drummer um, too? I'm a drummer. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a drummer, but I I, I do program drums and I love drums. Um, but I yeah, I guess I. I 
in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> but I've always loved drums and um, yeah, just kind of banging around making music and singing as well because my mother was directing musical theater, so I kind of oh, was doing okay. that. But um, yeah, I think it was just because I was an only child. I had a lot of time to myself, so I just kind of got into stuff. Wow. And, and, but it takes a certain person to, you know, we can love animals, but not everybody steps up to make that decision to save them and to put on a gala and to do all of that, you know, that big work. What motivates you? What what happened to you? What was your moment? Um... Or maybe there wasn't a moment. Maybe it was just, I need to do this. Are you still with us, John? Anne, are you still with me? I'm here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we might have lost John. Trina, did we? And I didn't understand what amazing, amazing creatures they are. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, so I came back here. I had this Frankie? Yes. John, you must, you're going in and out. Oh, she's gone now. Okay, let's get her back and see if we can't hear her story. Um, unfortunately, we missed most of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we couldn't, we couldn't hear John for a little bit. So we're going to get her back on. And, and Anne, do you have any animals or are you passionate about animals? Oh, gosh. Do you know, I don't, I've, I have four kids and they all would like an animal. <laughs> Four kids? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Right. So, <laughs> until I have fewer kids in the household, I, I, I'm not really signing up for animals. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it would become your job. I get it. Right. I get it. Right. Um, exactly. I have to have an animal in my household. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My husband wasn't a big, like, he grew up on a farm, too, but for him, animals are out, outside pets. Yes. Um, they're not inside. So, you know, it was a big decision for him to get me a dog. But he got me a dog. I'm here. There you are. Okay, yes. we have we have John back with us. I'm sorry, yeah. we, we missed your defining moment. It, you, oh. unfortunately, we couldn't hear you. Could you repeat that for us? Yes, no problem. Well, I was tell, I was talking about my experience, and I had gone to Thailand in 2012. Oh, okay. And spent some time with elephants, and especially one elephant that I bonded with. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's something I've, I've always loved animals, and you know, loved elephants, and but I've never until I experienced it one on one understood how special they are. Right. And, you know, they just, to me, they're amazing. So seeing over the last few years since I've gone there, just what's going on with the elephants, with the rhinos, with all these creatures that I've always found so magnificent has been really, really hard to stomach, just really hard to take because it feels like it's escalating. And um, just as an innate animal lover, I, 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 you know, I love all animals, first of all, mm-hmm. cats, dogs, fish, you know, birds, every everything, um, reptiles. I even have some reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> I love all um, but I'm seeing what's happening to these beautiful creatures that can't defend themselves. And it's just feeling like, you know, I, I don't want to sit by helplessly and lose, lose these creatures that have been with us for thousands, if not more years. I mean, I was just in Vietnam recently and I, I was in a museum and I saw a sculpture of an elephant from mm-hmm. 1000 BC, 1000 BC. And I'm wow. thinking, 
how long they've been with us and how long yes. we've revered them and that we could lose them in our generation is just, I can't accept that. It's mind-blowing. It's incredible. It is mind-blowing. I just can't believe how cruel, you know, some cultures are and some people are without any regard to animals or welfare or anything like that. It just, it blows my mind. It really does. And I know that um, there's been some folks here in Canada doing a lot of work over, you know, with the bears in China to get them released and and to help people understand what compassion is. And it's it's unfortunate, but we need to teach compassion. Um, mm -hmm. Some friends of mine from an active dog, like they're going to be creating, you know, their museum of compassion just to teach children in North America what compassion is, um, to be compassionate for pets. Because, you know, as you know, like 5,400 dogs are killed daily in shelters across the United States. That's a huge number. I mean, they could be adopted instead of killed. Like, we just need to change our mindset about that. And so, you going to Thailand? That that's really great. Um, my son was just over was over um, in in uh, Bali with the monkeys, and uh, took some phenomenal pictures of them. Like, they're crazy fun. But yeah, I mean, you know, we need to do that. And um, it. In Seattle, talk about Seattle, and um, there's an organization, TACN, they were on our show, um, a couple of girls from China, they've been rescuing from the dog meat trade, and they're golden retrievers, most of them are golden retrievers, and I have a golden retriever, and when I see this dog, and I'm like, oh my god, it's the most beautiful dog, it looks like my dog, and it was somebody's dinner in a restaurant, I mean, it's wow. incredible, yeah, it just blows your mind, so yeah, I don't, I yeah. It's, well, you know what it is? I think it's up to the rest of the world now to step in because, it, you know, the planet belongs to everyone. I like right. to say that. Just because a certain species of animal happens to live somewhere because of the climate, and et cetera, right. does give that population a right to decimate it. And and it's and it's all, they're all of ours. Like the whole planet belongs to everyone, as far as I can see. So I it's time. Yeah, it's time for all of us to step up for these animals that are defenseless. Um, and now, especially with the light of what's been going on, I mean, they're being attacked in zoos now. It's, it's incredible. Incredible. I mean, it's just no, there's no, I can't fathom that, that we have to, yeah. know, you know, these animals like diamonds and gold because they are. They are, they are very precious. I can't even imagine that we would be the, uh, you know, the generation that's responsible for animals going extinct. Now, some have come back and thank goodness, you know, we have been able to bring a few back, but more are going extinct and that's just unacceptable. I just can't yeah. even imagine. Like you said, they've been around since for a million years, and now all of a sudden we're going to kill them off. Like, how crazy is yeah. that? I know that elephants have a very hard time in captivity, and um, mm -hmm. they they garnered the release of three elephants in Canada. We're sending them to San Diego, and one died just because it was just it just couldn't handle you know just They're couldn't handle the stress. Sensitive. Very very sensitive. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. very so emotional. and. They mourn their dead. They, everything like we do. They they're not that different. Than, in some ways, they're more evolved, I think, than some people. <laughs> you know, they're very incredibly smart creatures, and and you know, they know what's kind of happening to them. They have to. So they do know. And and elephants, especially. I mean, you know, that memory. They do. They do fall in love, and they do have a a wonderful memory. Right? Uh, it's incredible. I want when we come back. We're going to go to a break in a minute. But when we come back, let's talk about the ways, other than just throwing money at at organizations, how we can help save this, the endangered animals. Um, the best way to do that, and as an individual, because I think you know one person can change the world, and one person can certainly change the life of an animal. So um, mm -hmm. let's talk about that. And we're going to come back. And maybe part of that is that decision making process, and you know how people can decide to do that. You know, maybe you don't have pets at home, but it's, it doesn't mean you can't help save 
animals. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that when we get back. Um, mm -hmm. If you want to call us, you can at 903-787-5887. We'd love to take your phone call. If you want to talk to John or Ann, happy to do that. I'm sorry. Um, can you give me that time there? I thought you said we we're going to a break. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, don't go anywhere or, you know, come back because we have lots more to talk about and we want to talk to you. No, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's have you ever wondered where the terms used in computer speak originated? The word cookie, that packet of information that travels between a browser and web server, is named after the fortune cookie, a cookie with an embedded message. Rebooting the computer is literally pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The name Google was originally coined in 1938 by Milton Sirota, nephew of mathematician Edward Kasner, during a discussion of large numbers. Uh, Google is the number one, followed by 100 zeros. The word Yahoo was originally invented by Jonathan Swift and used in his book Gulliver's Travels. It's a derogatory term for a person who is repulsive in appearance. Yahoo founders Jerry Yang and David Philo selected the name because they considered themselves Yahoos. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's Marching and you wiggle your ears? Studies suggest that only 10 to 20% of humans are able to wiggle their ears. That's pretty astrobogulous. Astrobogulous is another word for bizarre or unusual. Of course, many animals have the ability to independently turn their ears in the direction of a sound by using their auricular muscles. In humans, ear wiggling is thought to be more of a vestigial feature, meaning it was once a useful trait of our ancient ancestors, but not needed anymore. Some people can't stop wiggling their ears. This rare moving ear syndrome is known as dyskinesia. This can be a pretty embarrassing condition, especially if you are macrotus or have big ears. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. Frankie sent some more. And I'm, I'm going to apologize to you folks out there today because Frankie's having a, a Frankie kind of day. <laughs> I, I seem to be a bit discombobulated today. But uh, we've got these two wonderful ladies here, and, and we're going to make the most of it. Um, John, you were off, and you took you took Anne's test. So what did, what did it show to you? What kind of a decision maker are you? I did. And, you know, was, I love it. I'm a collaborative soul. Oh, fantastic. Oh, Nice. <laughs> yeah. And did you get, did you see the description for that? Did it fit when you read it? Yes. Yes. I was looking through it. It's, it's pretty much on point, especially, you know, given light of what, what we're doing right now is, you know, bringing people together and collaborating to, you know, higher good. So I love it. I'm, I'm pleased with this one. It's oh, so wow. collaborative soul <laughs> says, does this sound like you? Do you offer your time to help teach and organize others? Do you feel energized when you're around groups of people? Are you sentimental about things, objects, or people from your past? And if you answered yes to at least two or more, then you might be you might have found the right soul type. So, but again, it doesn't mean that you, if I'm an expressive, I can't collaborate. It just mm -hmm. means that my right. go-to pathway right. would right. be 
to to try to get people on board. Yeah, that that's <laughs> where you would, yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. where a natural strength would be, and it's something that I really think is is something that if you don't express in your lifetime, that you would you would not be as happy. So right. I think it's important mm-hmm. to understand what it is because it's interesting. Like I've met uh, people who had your soul type, Frankie, who really need to be able to use their voice because that's what you are the a voice basically. Right. right. And uh, a woman that I know, she's a therapist, but she was working in an office where she wasn't allowed to say her opinion. Right. She was oh, a lot of talk therapy. They just listen. And it was a terrible fit for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. I mean, yeah. I can just imagine um, on all kinds of levels, you know, being, I don't know what she was, but I'm a Gemini, so I need to communicate and I need to yeah. talk. And yeah. I talk to people as a coach, I talk to people all the time about you need to be in alignment with your values. And I guess one of her values is self-expression. So mm-hmm. uh, it would be hard for her. I think yeah. it would just come out anyway as a value. You know, whether you know about your soul type or not, you would know that there's a part of you that needs to speak. Yeah, for sure. Give an opinion. It's very difficult. Um, It would be hard for me. And I've always needed to work in an entrepreneurial environment because of that. And Mm -hmm. it was interesting. I worked for the government and um, very (laughs) un-entrepreneurial. But they allowed me, they allowed me to work in the way I needed to. And, and so that was amazing. It was the first time um, I got, I got a, a position, a special adv- advisor for spirit. And what that meant was I got to create programs and initiatives for people to make them happy at work without wow. giving them money. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's about bringing people on board and get, showing them the vision and, and the whole thing, which I love to do, and then finding the people to roll that out, right, for yeah, you. Yeah, you were the perfect person for that. That, sound, that sounds great. But John would have been really great at at bringing those teams together. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's it's something that you and John would share in common, according to your soul type, is both of you would be very, very comfortable on stage or in front of people. Um, And and what are you, Anne? I'm the optimizing soul type. So I'm more the person that likes to come up with the solution. I like to to think through problems and come up with, I have like a fun vision of how I think things could be. And then it's all about trying to make that happen. So, um, yeah, so that's, so you can look at like with, with my book and with the survey that I've created, it, Mm -hmm. it, it was coming up with an innovative solution to a problem. Nice. I love that. I think that's so important for people to to know. And, you know, for so many people out there are stressing all day long about making decisions and how they make a decision and, and how to make a decision. And Anne's book, Undoubtedly Awesome, will show you how to do that. She's got a roadmap in there, uh, shows you how how the flow chart works (laughs) (laughs) for decision making. So that's, that's really exciting. Um, You know, a lot of people are trying to decide right now on their purpose, on career. Right. And, you know, John, I don't think for you there was any big decision. Was Mm -hmm. there? I think you you fell into that. Yeah, I kind of naturally progressed in it. And it just seemed, yeah, it seemed like a natural thing. Even the animal thing was kind of a natural thing, too. So, yeah. Yeah. I I know that was... I was wondering about with your, you talking about the animal thing, about your your gala coming up. And you mentioned that it was to benefit fit the black mambas is that right yes black mambas anti-poaching unit in south africa could you i was wondering what they do i was how they work and what they do yes they are an all-female uh anti-poaching unit meaning they protect uh the park especially kruger park which is the largest park in the world and also the most po- poached park 
Um, I believe it's the size. I want. I want to say it's the size of Belgium. It's huge. Wow! Wow! It's it's really hard to patrol the whole thing, and so many places where people can infiltrate. So they patrol that park uh, mainly, and they're all female, which I think is so great because they're ladies. I do. Tired of seeing the animals, you know, decimated and want to take back the power and take back control. So I think it's, what they're doing is amazing. That's well, I'm awesome. just on their website and I can tell you, um, it, it says that they, they support programs of human empowerment, wildlife protection and land, and land conservation in the mm-hmm. sub-Saharan Africa. And their focus is on, on funding programs in communities that surround protected conservation and wildlife areas or world heritage sites. Uh, their programs, uh, they have programs in urban communities where tourism is strong. A source of development for them and funding programs that support the protection of wildlife and land conservation. And I think it's so cool. You see these girls and they got these big smiles on their face and they're they're protecting these animals. Um, they've got panthers and they've got elephants and they've got zebras and all kinds of animals um, in their sanctuary. And even you know two of the world's rarest cats. So that's very cool. And I mm-hmm. I love that that it's uh, women, especially in light of we just finished having um, you know. Uh, Women's Day in uh, March 18th was World Women's Day, so um, that was kind of that's kind of neat to have have a yeah. group of women that are doing that. And so it just shows you too that uh, no matter what your gender, you can do and be anything that you wish. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I wonder how many how many people they have actually patrolling such a, a space as large as that. I wonder how many uh, how many members they have actually running the patrols. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's tough. Like I said, it's so large. I mean, that that's place is so it's hard. It's hard. But they really, you know, that's why they need all the help they can get and all the support they can get. So they have what they need. Mm-hmm. So it's but what they're doing is great. They're also educating. And I think education is an important thing, too. You know, just even the youth, young, you know, the kids now to have the respect for the wildlife and to understand how they need to protect it and all of that sort of thing. It's, it's all the way around. It's not just, you know, obviously it's protecting the animals. But I think part of the, you know, poaching issue is, you know, lack of education and people don't have any knowledge. So. Right, right. So, and maybe trying to cut down on the demand if they can if they can teach people not to or, you know, that essentially that a rhino horn is not magical. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's not an aphrodisiac and all these yeah. other things that people think it is. It's, you know, that's the frustration is, is getting that old mindset out. It's a superstitious mind frame. It's like it's like snake oil. You know, it's yeah. not. There's no scientific proven fact of any of that. And yet these are, these animals are being wiped out for silly reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I right. know. It's terrible. So it's just we have to do something. <laughs> right. No, I saw a very, very compelling image not long ago. Um, of, I think it was elephant tusks that were being that had been seized that were uh, that were, um, you know, being sold one place to another. But it was just this mountain of elephant tusks and they destroyed them all. They burned them all. Um, yes. To try to I saw that. Them. Yeah, it was it was a really compelling compelling picture. Yeah, you know, and with people starving, it, it, they don't even eat the animal; they leave it. They just leave it there to rot. You know, mm-hmm. which is really horrific. Um, you know, I can understand if you're going to kill and eat too, but they don't, and and so that just makes it even worse. But um, on their site, they talk about gorillas are may disappear from the Congo Basin by the mid-2020s. That's not very far from here. Uh, no that's a couple of years from now. You know, um, right now there's only 4,880 black rhinos left in Africa. 20,000 yep. elephants are killed 
each year and every 50 minutes an elephant is killed for its tusks this is this is crazy people like we can't allow that to go on that's just nuts like these animals need each and every one of us. So I said that when we came back, we were going to talk about the ways um, ways to help. Money, definitely, they need you know they need more people. They need patrols. They need uh, and and they need to have um, people in place who who can put justice programs together. So these people need to be arrested. You know, the folks who do bad things need to go to jail. They need to have consequences for their actions. Yeah, that's been the problem is a lot of it goes very deep, you know, yeah. and it's very corrupt um, because the set up there, you know, that, that part in you know, those parts of the world, there's, it's not the same as we're used to, no. you know, the justice system or whatnot. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that are done in the dark. And that's the problem. It's a huge black market. And it's, you know, these horns are worth so much money to people. And, you know, the poachers don't make any money usually. There's, you know, people have no opportunity there. So they're going to say, yeah, I'll, I'll hack off an animal's face for $20,000, you know, whatever they're making yeah. for the horn. Um, they'll risk their life for that. And they don't care because that, to them, that's like, you know, more money than they're ever going to see in their life. I mean, that's a poaching issue. But, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't remember that dentist who went and killed that, you know, the pet the pet lion in the sanctuary in Africa um, oh, and, and was just brutally, you know, horrible, horrible. And people were outraged. And I bet, you know, in a way, I mean, this Cecil, the lion, that was heartbreaking. Yes. But Cecil, you know, woke people up to this this issue of trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. That's what the trophy mm-hmm. hunting stuff, and and that's still going on. They're still doing can hunts. They're still, I mean, it's it's disgusting to me that people can pay, you know, <clears throat> like auction off the right to kill an animal, which they did with the rhino, the guy who killed the last of that rhino, oh, no. uh, the Texan. I forgot his name, but he, um, you know, he paid for the honor to murder the animal, and it's just I don't get it. It's crazy, you know. Yeah, I don't I don't get hunting at all. Tell you the truth. I I really don't. I don't. I don't understand people's love for it. Um, you know, when you go out with with high scope rifles and and just everything that's going to make you find an animal, like that's that's not hunting. No. Hunting is running through the forest with your bow and arrow. You know, that's hunting. You yeah. know, if you want to if you want to do it and fishing the same way with your you know meters and depth finders and all of that, that's that's not sport. Like I don't find that sport at all. I don't understand people who do. And maybe there's hunters listening and they're going, oh, I get it. You know, but. I don't get it. Not when when these animals are just left in the dust for what you want something on your wall. Like, come on, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's it's pretty horrendous. So, okay, there's money. They need money. They yes. probably need volunteers. I'm sure a lot yes. of the organizations would love to have people come and help them. Yes. Um, yes. Maybe you could, people can look into that if they want to help. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break in just a minute. But is there anything else that you can think of, John, uh, well, in the way of, of help? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned before, you know, absolutely volunteers, they need teams. And that's what I was told the Rhino Rescue Project needs. You know, they have ways, but they just need people and, Mm -hmm. you know, volunteers, whatnot. And education, like I mentioned before, I think Mm -hmm. education Mm -hmm. is a huge thing. And and maybe in the West, we need to make, you know, countries that are the worst offenders of animal abuse a little bit more, like call them out a little bit more and and, and maybe affect it in a, you know, trade situation. Because, you know, the way to really, I guess, show, show, them how you feel is not to do business you know yeah that do that so we need to be a little stricter about that okay well we're going to go to commercial break and when we come back hopefully you'll give us a call and and you know 903-787-5887 give us give us your thoughts if you're a hunter tell us why you do it and if you're not great we appreciate that so much (laughs) no we're just getting warmed up frankie sense and more we'll be right back after we pay the bills 
know that besides home and work, Americans spend more time at the mall than anywhere else? There are 50,000 shopping malls in the United States alone. The Mall of America, located between Minneapolis and St. Paul, is the largest in the world with more than 500 stores. What's a word for a person who is a compulsive shopper? An oniomaniac. Studies have shown that women will buy more if they hear their heels clicking on the floor. So designers often use hard flooring in hallways. Of course, the stores want customers to spend all their coopity coop. That's another word for money. Oh, I gotta run. There's only one more shopping day until tomorrow. My husband said if I don't quit shopping so much, he would leave me. Lord, I'm gonna miss that man. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to the American College of Sports Medicine, nearly 1.5 million Americans have heart attacks each year, and about a third of them die. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in the United States and accounts for almost 50% of all deaths each year. It affects nearly 14 million Americans. An inactive or sedentary lifestyle is one of the top risk factors for heart disease. Thankfully, it's a risk factor that you can do something about. Regular exercise will not only strengthen your cardiovascular system, it will also improve your circulation. Many experts agree that the best defense against cardiovascular disease is regular exercise, especially aerobic exercise. So it's time to get on a consistent exercise program and increase the health of your heart. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Thanks for sticking around. You're listening to Frankie Sensamore. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. We have Ann Tucker and John Mack with us today. Uh, just amazing ladies. Just so, so great to have them here. So much education, so much learning that we can learn from, from both of them. It's great. We were talking, um, just off air, I said that black mamas, they're a poisonous snake. Uh, snake. And um, if you're afraid of snakes, I know people who are and, and people who aren't. There's uh, Actually, my dog goes to a daycare and the owner's wife is afraid of snakes. And they were out in... Um, I think they were in Costa Rica and there was a sign and I had a picture of a snake and she was all happy till the snake picture showed up on a sign and then she ran back to the mm-hmm. ran back to the hotel room. But oh. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, especially Costa Rica. Yeah. And and the big snakes. <laughs> and, and I'm a hypnotherapist and so he said, you know, can you hypnotize her? And I said, Yeah, I probably can. Uh, we can work on that. But I understand people's fear of snakes. I you know, I don't have a fear fear, but there's just something about them that um, maybe, maybe I like pets who, and I, like I told you, I have a son who has a cobra, so, or a boa constrictor and he seems very friendly, but, um, for me, I, I like to have the interaction of love back and forth with my pets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I actually heard that the fear of snakes is that there's a, like a genetic or ancestral component to it. That if you, your genealogy comes from a region where there's a lot of poisonous snakes, mm-hmm. you're, you have a higher chance of being afraid of snakes. Like oh, yeah. it's a survival thing. Makes Interesting. Sense. Yeah. yeah, but I, I wouldn't you think though in your in our DNA when you get right back to it, like everybody's from that same place, Jerusalem or something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like in Africa or yeah, someplace like really that. Far back, but yeah, yes. yeah. And maybe it's just you know that Garden of Eden story. Who knows? Everybody's afraid. People are afraid of snakes. But there are countries like South America. You know, you're on the water and boom, something's got you. <laughs> it's pretty scary. Yeah. 
pretty scary stuff. However, um, you know, we want to, we still want to save them. Even if we're afraid of them, doesn't matter. They are still allowed to, to live and, and live in their environment. And that's one of the things that I, I find very disturbing with all of the housing development that are going on. I see, you know, deer around me and fox and, and, um, I kind of live in the country a little bit and across from me, there's, there's a bunch of coyotes and stuff, but, um, you know, they're, they're finding less and less place to live. And a few years ago, my, my backyard was overrun with rabbits and then the foxes became very prevalent. And so last this year, there are absolutely zero rabbits and the foxes got fat and I haven't seen a fox this year. Um, lately but you know i mean it's a cycle of life right they say the same thing with the wolves when the, when they kill the wolves and the deer population gets too big and they need to thin it out and they need to thin it out unfortunately with hunting so wouldn't it just be better just to let the wolves naturally take care of you know things in, in the natural way for me I, I, that just sounds like a better system yeah, uh, yeah. nature's got nature it down had, nature had it down yeah, yeah exactly and it's heartbreaking now to see what's happening to the wolves too. Like you mentioned, the wolves. I mean, they're they're getting to be endangered more and more. I mean, they're being hunted like crazy, and it's hard. Like Yellowstone, all these beautiful wolves yeah. are being just slaughtered. For I saw an amazing the wild story about that. Being slaughtered. Tell yeah. us your story, yeah. Anne. There's I and I uh, I said just I just heard this, but it was really incredible that. So I think it was in in Yellowstone. Um, where they introduced uh, like seven or eight wolves back into the population. There had been none. And they brought seven or eight of these wolves back and it completely changed the valley because, it, and it was like a chain effect where it started out where the, in the deer had become the tons and tons of deer. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, it wasn't so much that the eight wolves had such a huge impact on the number of deer, but what they changed was their grazing habits. So rather than grazing the valleys, the deers would move, would move into more sheltered areas to graze. So all the valleys started to have the grasses grew back and that brought back the birds, which brought back other predators, which brought back like it completely changed the whole topography and all these different food chains in terms of all these different animals. It even changed the rivers, if you can imagine, because now that the grasses were growing back in, there was less erosion and uh, the sides of the rivers became more stable. So it was just it was fascinating to see it was literally eight wolves and it changed everything. Wow. I love that. See, yeah. nature knows how to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you can't get rid of your, you know, top predators, apex predators, like, you know, they're killing great whites like crazy. We need great whites. I mean, right. apex right. predators. You need, you need lions. You need tigers, apex predators to keep everything else in check. Wolves. All of the top predators keep everything else in line. And yeah. 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 You know. But even if you're if you're a predator or a prey animal, like horses are prey animals, but, you know, they understand, they have a different, um, a different role to play in society and they mm-hmm. teach they teach humans as you know as because we are like a number one predator really how how to be collaborative and how to be a team really if you look mm-hmm. at the way horses run um they are a team and and you know they may have a, a, an alpha or, you know as, as you might call it in the, in the um horse world or in the in the wolf world but um they have a leader but but that leader will will look to the weakest link Mm-hmm. And the team will have to work with them. And so they they have so much to show us so beautifully mm-hmm. if we would yes. just listen and, and learn from them. So it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I yeah. think we really definitely need. And Yellowstone is such a great place to go. I mean, wow. I, I, you know, I was there and, and watching buffalo walk down the street and, and you know, the, the mountain goats up in the hills. And wow, I mean, it's just incredible, incredible mm-hmm. place to be. 
Beautiful. Yeah, we don't want to lose that. That's so no. special. It's just so pristine. And, um, but it's important, like I was saying earlier, education, I think I'd love to see mm-hmm. more of that, even from really young kids being taught, you know, how to live with it among nature, how to plant things, how to, how to take care of animals, you know, husbandry, whatever, animal husbandry, all these things that we've forgotten mm-hmm. that connect us to the planet and to nature more and more. And, and I think by that, we'd have more respect for it. I think you're right. I was in in Whistler and um, in Pemberton, just outside of Whistler, and you know a, a little black bear walked through town, and it was my first bear sighting. You know, and, mm-hmm. and my, I, I said, my friend, stop your star, stop your car, and I got out of the car, and and she's like, what are you doing? You know, I'm like it's a bear. Look how cool that is. You know, <laughs> it was so exciting for me to see this bear. But I mean, that's nature, and and we don't get to see that no. often enough anymore. You know, like the first thing somebody might do is just pull out a gun and shoot it. Why? It wasn't doing anything. It was just walking. It'll leave town. It'll go back where it came from. It wasn't a big deal, you know, but I, I just think that's pretty cool. So I wish that our go-to, I think you're right. The go-to can't be a gun. It has to be education and, and understanding and compassion. And if we need to teach it, then we need to teach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it. It can't hurt to have it in schools, you know, some form of it. I think it's so important. We have everything else. Why not that? That's one Well, of we do. I mean, in Canada, I don't know in the U.S., but in Canada, they have, um, as, as part of the component for graduating high school, you need 40 hours community service. Mm-hmm. And that's not even enough, really. But if you had, you know, 40 hours of, of animal service mm-hmm. where, you know, you work at a zoo or you work in a, in a shelter or you work somewhere that, to show you, you know, compassion and what death looks like. You know, um, I think it's important for yes. to get in touch with that. And you know, my, I remember my son being very young, and he, and he would he would say, "What kind of chicken is this?" Because chicken was the go-to. It was just a meat of all animals were chicken. You know, to him. <laughs> you know, just he didn't diversify or anything. It was just, "What kind of chicken are we eating tonight?" You know, is it cow chicken or <laughs> steak? <laughs> you know, it's pretty yeah. funny. But children. You know, city kids don't don't have an appreciation for the country and, and animals on a farm. So I think farm life is, is just amazing. I, I I wish everybody could live on a farm for a little while. And I hope your I hope your son can get over his fear of dogs and because there's nothing to fear. I mean, they they're just beautiful. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever been afraid of a dog in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it is. You know, he's okay if he's around one. He just he would be asking a lot of him to live with one. Oh, really? <laughs> he just needs one that he can fall in love with. I, you know, right, my, my exactly. happy place is a dog park. I, uh, you know, I go there with my dog all the time. And, and um, I just love to be around all the different varieties and personalities and just have them come and, and play and talk to me. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I get it's not for everybody. As I was saying, you know, off air that my, my husband, to him, animals are outdoor animals and, and that's where they're supposed to live because he grew up on a working farm. My farm was a little bit different. Um, but, you know, he still got me a dog. So we kudos to him for knowing that I couldn't go the rest of my life without an animal. <laughs> that was, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So we need uh, to make sure that people that your your event is sold out. John, is it sold out yet? Not yet. No, there's still tickets available. So they're available um, on both Eventbrite and on Yap City. So you have a choice. And they're what, like $25? They're pretty reasonable. Or $35? Yeah, it's it's $60, but that includes all food and drink. So Fantastic. Wow. And there's a VIP, which is 120 which includes a very nice gift bag. So nice. It's a... Yeah, all proceeds go toward the you know the two nonprofits. So there you go. I mean, folks, if you want 
you're looking for something to do in that evening. Um, and even if you don't want to go, or if you can't go, $60 is nothing. You know, it's a great donation to two great causes. I highly recommend that everybody go and do that. And Anne, you, you, your book is at www.undoubtedlyawesome.com. Yeah, and it's available on Amazon. And it is available on Amazon. And tell, tell us a little bit about Wisdom Soup. What is that? Sure. Wisdom Soup is an online social learning community for spirituality and personal growth. So the, the idea behind it is that um, uh, as people are starting down this path of, of, of getting interested in spirituality, it's very hard to figure out where to start. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different teachers, um, but it takes more than one teacher to find your way. And people end up kind of bouncing from one to the next. And it's hard to make a lot of progress. So what I've done is laid out a five-step process to, to speed up serendipity. It unfolds over 12 months. So it leads you through so that you're you're never worried about what you should be doing. You're, you're progressing in a way that makes sense from step one to step two to step three. And it speeds up your process. So from er- what would the first evolution be? So I, I, I laid it out. It's a lot like flying an airplane. If you imagine if you were an airplane pilot, mm-hmm. that step one is, is clearing your path. So if you had air traffic control, you want to figure out where you're going to be going. So that's where you're going to set your intentions and clear your energetic path. You're going to figure out how you're going to be working with an energy healer. And then in step two is where you want to get, you know, everybody on board and in their seats and facing forward <laughs> with their seatbelts on. So what that means is that's where you want to have your conscious and your subconscious working together and facing the same direction. So you're going to be working on gotcha. your beliefs, um, uh, uh, on, you know, basically trying to make sure that, that all of your intentions are facing the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, it goes on like that, it leads you down, down the path and, and each one is progressing you all the way up towards the final step, which is where you start connecting, building your, your intuition. Love that. That's really great. Yeah. It's, and it's, can it's anybody a- join or is it a closed group? Um, it's, it's, uh, it is open. The enrollment is opening within the next, uh, April 1st, we'll have open enrollment again. So I do like oh. to take people through as a group because it has a very, very strong community component. Nice. Okay. So those people are going to be connected for, for life that go through yes, together. I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> gotcha. Well, we're in our last 30 seconds. Let me say John Mack and Ann Tucker, thank you so very much for getting up early today. Uh, you are on the West coast. Thank you again for coming on the show. Just such such a pleasure to have and meet you both. And folks, please buy Undoubtedly Awesome. Please get your tickets to um, John's event on uh, in Los Angeles. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's for a wonderful, wonderful cause. And I'm sure she'll appreciate that, too. The Defending the Endangered Movement. Okay. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week on Frankie Sense and More. Yeah.